0: Before we get started with today's episode, we wanted to highlight another fantastic podcast series that we think you would be interested in checking out. Fight the Swell is a new monthly podcast focused on increasing awareness around hereditary angioedema, or HAE. For those who may not be familiar, HAE is a rare and potentially life-threatening genetic condition. Because HAE is hereditary, children have a 50% chance of inheriting HAE if one parent has the disease. Patients can experience painful, unpredictable swelling anywhere on their body. Fight the Swell is hosted by two HAE patients, Zakia and Corey, where in each episode they discuss with a guest what it means to live with HAE and how to navigate life with this difficult disease. If you are living with HAE and have questions about topics such as balancing your work-life schedule, exercise, or even just ways to approach discussing HAE with your friends and family, then you should give Fight the Swell a listen. It's a fascinating look at an under-discussed and very rare condition told through the lens of patients who have first-hand experience. The first four episodes of the podcast are now out on YouTube, and you can check them out by searching for HAE Fight the Swell at YouTube.com. We'll also put a link to the YouTube playlist for the podcast in the show description for this episode. More episodes are planned and will be uploaded each month. If you're living with HAE, know someone who is, or are even just looking for ways to help support those who are, get in on the conversation with real patients today by searching for HAE Fight the Swell at YouTube.com. And now, on with today's show.
1: Adam was exactly who he needed to be, just like the rest of my children.
2: Hi, this is Sunny Bean. I'm hosting, wait, how do you spell that? A rare disease podcast by Patient Worthy. Today, I'll be speaking to Adam Settle and his mother and brother, Annette and Richard Settle, about his new book, No Day Wasted, The Adam Settle Story, written by Susan Stallings. Adam was one of the first patients diagnosed with cobalamin C deficiency when Pennsylvania began testing newborns. The disease causes legal blindness and affects the nervous system, brain functioning, and causes other health difficulties. At 19, the youngest of nine children, Adam's disease didn't hold him back. He's an artist, a basketball lover, and a beloved friend to all in his community. Adam is an example of how to dive into your passions and not take no for an answer. In this interview, Adam, Annette, and Richard talk about Adam, his new book, and the parts of his exuberance that make him a joy and inspiration for his community. Their stories show how Adam sees possibilities so many of us don't, and that makes his book well worth a read. Adam, Richard, Annette, welcome to the show. Adam, why don't you get us started? When did you first decide to write your book with Susan, and when did you actually get started?
3: Well, it was probably about three years ago that I felt like it was time to inspire people not to waste a day through my
2: stories. Yeah, so what was the process of writing the book like with this author, or all of you probably?
3: It was was a, it was a joint effort. The way that it went was she figured out that she wanted to help me with this book and I came up with an idea of bringing different people that I had impacted to her where she could help tell their part of the book. So it's like short, short stories. Mm-hmm. but are really good. It turned out much better than we ever thought it was going to. Hmm.
1: Susan had only written one other book. Wow. And, and, and she was doing this
2: because she wanted to do something different. What did you feel like the message of the book was in the end?
4: Well, I feel like Susan Stallings did a really good job of capturing a lot of different places adam has been, different people he's impacted from... Um, teachers, to aid helpers, to people at the coffee shop, or athletic directors, uh, the bus driver. So I think the book did a really good job of not just focusing on like a specific area of Adam's life, but just how he's touched and impacted a lot of people throughout the whole community. Mm. Took the words right out of my
3: mouth.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And what is your community like? Is it a small town or?
3: Sort of small. Like, I'd it, say it's a medium town, but in a small, it feels like a small town, but it probably has about twenty-five,
4: 3,000 people. So Dillsburg's <laughs> a, a pretty small town compared to the rest of the cities around us and towns around mm-hmm. us. Um, an example of what Dillsburg looks like, we have a ride your tractor to school day. Um, so there's a lot of farmland, a lot of cornfields and so forth. So Dillsburg is definitely a small-town vibe, um, which I think that has to do a lot, too, with,
3: you know, someone used to know someone like Adam yeah. in a
4: small town like that,
3: too. There's been times, not just from me being able to play sports or this book, no, I'm an artist, so the local newspaper wrote quite a few articles on me in the banner, which is the, the – Local newspaper. The newspaper wrote telling about me playing in, I was in ninth grade, I was in ninth grade, but I was able to play in a varsity basketball game. And uh, what was so cool was how, and it was a packed house. It uh, It was insane.
1: So Adam, with that opportunity that Adam got to play, so Adam loves being a part of the team. And so because he's legally blind and he can only see one side at a time, he obviously couldn't play sports on a regular basis and so forth. And no one ever took pity on Adam or shunned him or um, they always were looking for ways to include him. And, And actually, one of the teachers at the school at Northern High School in Dillsburg said that with Adam playing that game, that basketball game, it drew all kinds of kids together. They made t-shirts, they did posters, they all rallied together. So you're talking, you know, the the 4-H kids and the popular kids and just a whole mix. And so grateful and just couldn't believe, here, just Adam's going to play a basketball game. And all of a sudden all these kids are just so excited and working together. You know, this guy's been trying for years and years. Come on guys, work together. Oh no. You know, you're in that group and you're in that group. And, and there was, there was, it was just like, there were no barriers. And, um, I, I just thought that was, that was amazing. That was, that was a gift and it was very noted. And, um,
3: they called it at the Adam Settlement, the light up sign in front of the school. <laughs> the Adam Settlement. And so pretty much everyone in Dillsbury knew about it the week leading up to the game. So that was cool how people from all the way upstairs came to the game. People on the middle floor and the bottom floor.
1: And he made the shot. He made yeah. the shot. And the TV station was there.
3: Yeah, I was, I mic'd, up. I was mic'd up to the, uh, to the camera
2: during the first Mm shot. And so what are things that your peers have done that have helped you um, growing up? That sounds like a good one.
4: (laughs) I think one thing, um, whether it was in the community or whether it was um, at school, for instance, um, whether it was football team or basketball, they allowed him to get involved no matter even though he couldn't play sports he really didn't know much about the sport he wasn't able to really coach them he wasn't really able to you know offer much as far as like a presence on the team um in regards to like playing but they were always you know love to have him there for a pre-game prayer or a halftime prep talk or um or or just even yeah. uh just being there on the on the on the sideline in general and just hitting people on the head on their helmet or something or you know, patting them on the back. So I think just allowing them to be there, um, even though it would be easy to just be like, well, it, we don't really think there's anything that you could offer as far as like to the team. I think just your presence and your, you know, your joy and your laughter. Uh, I think that's that gonna enjoy it, and even not just on like the school, but I think oh, of, like yeah.
3: something I just thought of. What was that? It was during it was a football practice. One of the coaches. I went, I went to yeah. grab a sip of water
4: bring one of the coaches. Right. Uh, so this is actually I was playing football all the time. And Adam was coming to practice and was helping out and um, mostly just moving water around okay. different stations, people got water throughout the day because it was about in August or uh, September. And I did whatever I could do to help. And one of the water jugs has different um, hoses that come off and you, you hold down the one button as you're drinking and uh, you shoot it into your helmet in your mouth and Adam obviously being blind, um, can't really see where the water's going. And so he just immediately turns it on and shoots yeah. one of the head coaches, like straight in the face.
0: <laughs> that's so, in the
4: book. Yeah, that's yeah. Tr- directly in the book. <laughs> and a very large, oh. intimidating black,
1: black man. That is just, <laughs>
4: So it's you know, people like that. The good don't...
1: thing he loves Adam. Yeah, it's
2: a <laughs> <Yeah>. good excuse.
4: <laughs> yeah, good good thing he loves me. <laughs> so much people that you don't always see laughing or smiling, you know, which you would in that moment. So that's cool. Yeah. yeah.
2: Not everyone can get away with that, so it's nice to be able to <laughs> exactly <laughs> Wow. And so um so maybe we can turn to sort of what it was like to first receive the diagnosis because Adam was one of the first patients to be diagnosed with Wobalabamine C deficiency in Pennsylvania um, with the Newborn Screenings Act. So what was receiving the diagnosis in that way like? Well, for me,
1: um, you know, here I had already had, um, by that point, seven other children. Didn't have any diseases or anything, and so um, kind of threw me for a loop. But you know, when I first came home with Adam, he I just thought he was a really good baby, and because he barely cried and slept a lot. And so, by the time we my husband took him to the pediatrician on a Tuesday, and I had had a C section with him, I had had three singles and two doubles, two sets of twins back back no c-section well adam was turned and so we had to do a c-section and we we're like okay and then um i had an infection so my husband takes him to the pediatrician and by this point we we're pretty close you know and um so he he goes in and uh the doctor says something came up in the blood work showed up and he said you know i'm Sure, it's a false positive, you know, but you need to go to Children's Hospital tomorrow in Philadelphia, and he comes home, and he says to me, you know, we, well, I have seven other children, and um, and the oldest at the time was, Amanda was like 12 or 13, and then down from there, so um, anyway, we scrambled And Chris, Chris Ryder, the doctor, called me that evening and he said, I said, Chris, tomorrow is the day before Thanksgiving. Is there any way we can wait through the weekend? And he said, he might not be here after the weekend. And so by the time the next day we went to CHOP and by three o'clock they admitted him and um, I had not been able to wake him up to eat. He barely had anything. So he was toxic. And so um, he was in the intensive care and they have like these different um, levels of intensive care <laughs> and uh, he was in the highest one. And so anyway, they um, we ended up with three doctors, metabolic doctors, you know, standing over him And saying that they they were pretty sure he had this rare disease, and that they were going to take some tests to be absolutely sure, and and they even took a biopsy of his skin and sent it to Canada. Um, So anyway, it was, um, and they said, you know, he could have this and this, a whole list of things, and but you know, when I was pregnant with him. In our, in our house, we have all these windows, big windows. And my husband designed it. And so I remember being pregnant with him and I looked out the window in the kitchen and what went through my mind was, what if he can't see? And, and I was like, it'll be okay. Never dreaming that he would be legally blind. And so, you know, there was so much at the time was barely anything you could read about on the internet, and even you know, almost 21 years ago, the communication was nothing like it is now, obviously. And so, so yeah, it it was just all this what is it, territory un undiscovered uh, whatever you know what I'm saying,
2: charger um, territory. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this question's for Annette. The book described a household that was open and full of life, and many of the readers commented on this. So what was your philosophy when you realized you had a child with disabilities, and, and how did you approach his upbringing? Adam was exactly
1: who he needed to be, and just like the rest of my children. I, I remember going to a prayer group for other women who had other children with special needs, and the first time I walked in, I looked at the women, and I said, look, I said all my children have special needs some are just more obvious than others (laughs) and um and so you know we all have our strengths we all have our weaknesses and I you know I had two miscarriages before I had my first daughter and then I'm pretty sure I lost a twin with her and then I almost lost her so then I had Amanda then Andrew and then Charlotte Then I had another miscarriage, and that miscarriage, I actually was holding the baby in my hand. And and what the Lord told me was, I giveth and I taketh away. From then on, I knew that I had no control over whether I was gonna have children or not have children, have any more. And the next month I got pregnant with twins, and then another set of twins and then Adam. And so God knew the desire of my heart and I I truly was like, you know, we'll we'll take whatever and and we'll we'll be grateful and we'll work with it. And we did and we we continue to to navigate his disease, his limitations, but also really encourage his strengths, his artwork and and his siblings are you know like I said there you can do it Adam they never coddled him oh poor little Adam you know no it was and I think that was the best thing they ever did and my mother-in-law would say Adam was born into the right family he really was
2: yeah and with a whole fleet of siblings to help yeah mm-hmm. oh and so what did each of you learn from Adam hmm. Reactions?
4: Yeah. <laughs> um, I think one thing that Adam has taught me um, over the years, and again, I, it's interesting because I've known Adam almost my entire life, but at different stages where I was young and he was young. And so we, I learned different things at different times in my life. Um, early on, just the, the ability to not be embarrassed, um, to be ashamed who you are and um different times like you know you're going in your high school or middle school and so forth I mean I had my younger brother with me who wasn't afraid to do anything or say anything or in front of anybody and so obviously you know, there's different times in your life where you're you're trying to figure out who you are and your status and all this stuff and you're just you're battling the things that teenagers didn't deal with and so uh, I think I'm you know teaching i taught other many other people but also myself just the importance of you know being bold and courageous, not being fearful um, of people think. Um, but then, even now, uh, as I've gotten older and through college and now I'm in the workforce, I think Adam brings about a sense of of joy and refreshing um, joy and laughter, and just this um, persona that a lot of people um, and myself admire and kind of break down the mundane of the everyday. Um, and so even when he steps to a coffee shop or steps into my office or at work, or he meets some of my friends um, from college or other people that he might have not met before, uh, people are, are interested and um, eager to hear what he has to say. And so what I learned from that is that there's there's a lot of joy in, um, and refreshing you know, I guess refreshness—I guess is the word. Or... Adam has taught me a lot about. In my older life, I've learned a lot about Adam's ability to to say yes and the importance of st- you know saying yes, even though you might have all the answers or you might not have even the ability, to some extent, to do everything that you might think you need to complete that task in front of you or that goal that you have. Um, and a lot of times. You know, on paper, he doesn't, um, but he still strives to do that, and he wants to do it, give it his best, even though it might not be uh, what we think would be, like, the best way of doing it, but he attacks it anyways.
1: So Adam, I <laughs> admire, he always goes to the top. There's no barrier of, oh, I can't ask him, he's the president of this, or he's that. In fact, Adam had had heard that... Um, a lot of my children have gone on missions trips over the years. So he would hear so-and-so was in Africa or Brazil and they were helping out and he wanted to do that. And he was at school and he, I, I was at the school that he, that he was at, a small Christian school um, at one point. But anyway, he says to me, mom, I want to write a letter to the president and ask him for a plane because I... I need a plane to send food to wherever it was let's say Africa and so he sat down and he started writing this letter to the president and I just thought yeah why not what's the worst that can happen no <laughs> you know and and so he really has taught me just ask just ask and at the end of the day there is nobody any better or worse than myself. I'm just, I'm just another human being trying to do the best I can try to love others. And that's exactly, you know, there's that I, I love about him. Just, just go up to anyone anywhere. And uh, if he has a question, he will ask him, you know, it just doesn't matter. So, so he, he'll, he'll call one of the pastors and, he will text him, hey, let's have lunch. Um, and and so, you know, they have lunch. He'll um, just, you know, f- people that he's met around the world, around the world, Africa, he went to Africa, you know, we went to Italy and all these different places in the Middle East. And he made uh, friends in the Middle East. And he'll call them. If God lays them on his heart and his mind, he'll call them. And that just, People love that, you know, everyone wants to be remembered and known, you know, Um, you know, the, the old show, the cheers, you know, they, you walked in and they say, Norm, there's something about what people saying your name, your heart almost even flutters. It's, it's just being known um, and acknowledged. Everybody wants that. And so Adam acknowledges other people and, I love how, you know, there'll be people that he, he barely knows and yet he'll reach out. There's no strangers anywhere and there's no barriers.
2: I just have like maybe one more question for you. Why would you tell readers to read this book? It is uplifting. It's
1: funny. Um, it's encouraging. And, um, you know, there's, there's a little element of, um, I don't want to say sadness, but like, you know, a a little rocky at the beginning and it, it shows how no matter who you are or what limitations you think you might have, um, or, um, that limitations hold you back from trying things don't let it don't let it and you know at the name of the book is no day wasted the adam Settle story and adam's all about let's do the next thing let's try the next thing um and don't let people intimidate you don't let people think you're less than embrace them where they are and and help them navigate through their struggles.
2: Well, thank you so much. And thank you so much for joining me on Wait, How Do You Spell That? A rare disease podcast. If you have any questions, want to share your story, or have any comments on this story, please visit patientworthy.com.